I'm Karen. And I'm Michelle. We're sisters. And homeschool moms. Welcome to the Layers of Learning podcast. Where we talk about family-style homeschooling. Hi, this is Michelle from Layers of Learning. And I'm Karen. We're glad that you're here with us today. We are going to talk to you today about juggling family school. This means if you have more than one child. It can be really difficult to keep them all working and keep everybody happy and make sure that they're all being taught well when you've got multiple children. Especially because the kids are all different ages and abilities. And so even though we talk about, oh, you can just do the lessons together, there's still some individualization that has to happen. And so it can really feel like a juggling act sometimes. And I think it's a little bit difficult to just get your head around the concept of family school to begin with. So we're going to talk about what that means when you have more than one child. Okay, Karen, what are some strategies you use to individualize things for your kids? Let's start there. Like, What are some things that you do to make it so that they're each able to learn on their own level? Well, I think one of the main things that I do is that every one of my kids has their own planner. And, you know, I know a lot of homeschool moms who use different methods for that. Michelle, I think you used a basket when your kids were little, right? Didn't you just have like a a crate with their schoolwork in it and they worked through? Yes. In fact, they still have those baskets, but we don't use them quite the same way. But, But I used to just put their subjects in order. And they would be able to pull out, you know, the math and they would do their math. And then they'd pull out their English workbook and they'd do their English and so on. So you had um, a crate and it had little file folders, right? Yes. And so they, they just work right through those and it kind of kept them on track. It works great for, especially with younger kids, I think. Yeah, they can actually see very visually where they're at in their school day and and kind of progress along. Yeah, and as they go through their school day, their crate empties because they put their finished work into another pile where I would then be able to check their work. Yeah, so I do that same basic thing, except for me, we've always used just a paper planner. And my kids have like a whiteboard bulletin board in front of their little desk area. And so when they were little, they just had their chart hanging up there and it showed them what to do. And they had little stickers. And as they did their work, they just put their sticker up on on that little section. Now they actually have whole printed out planners, but they're a little bit older and so they don't need a chart staring at them as much, but we still use their planners in the same way and they mark off each thing. My kids actually don't have to work in a specific order, but they do know like this is the morning stuff and they've got to get it done by lunchtime. And then in the afternoon is when we do our are really group work, but I help each of them to know individually what they have to accomplish because it's written on their planner and they can just see it and check it off. And they're so ingrained in that routine that it's not hard for us to do that anymore. They just, it's just an expectation. So it took a while to build that up to teach them that, but then once you've got it going, it works like clockwork. So when they were tiny, it was just like, okay, you're going to get to read. You know, we had like the little reading lesson and a little math lesson, which might have been just shapes or numbers or, you know, when they were really little. And I just had them do the checklist, not because I needed them to keep track of it. I was very aware of what they were doing. I was training them in learning to check things off. And now they just know what's expected and they do it. So they might have started when they were little with a three-part checklist, like do this and this and this, and then you get to play a fun game on the computer when you're done, you know. But now their checklists are quite extensive and my littlest one is 10 and 
he's never even known anything but checking off his planner. So he just does it. It doesn't, he doesn't even think about it. Karen, your planner sort of sets up the routine for your whole school day. And then within that, you have mini routines and the routines help your kids know what's coming next. They're mentally prepared and they don't feel stressed because they know what's going on with their day, right? Yeah. And it really makes it nice because we can switch things around as we need to. You know, I kind of have signal words and I don't think I really thought through this intentionally, but it's just the way that it happened in our homeschool. We call our more individual work written work and it's not even all necessarily written, but that's just what we call it. So that's like the math and the handwriting, their little workbooks that they have. That's their written work. And that's the stuff that we do in the morning. And so if I say, hey guys, we've got errands this morning, so we're going to do our written work after lunch. They know that written work routine. They know they can work in any order. They know that little section of their planner. They know what to do. They might even ask, hey, if we're doing errands, can we just bring it and do it in the car so it'll be done? They know what's expected. So those little mini routines really help to keep them on track so that you're not constantly saying, this is what you need to do next. Here's what you need to do next. They know what they need to do next. You know, another thing that I have found, I do have my kids go in a certain order when they're school day. And the reason I do this, when I had, I only have two now at home, which is like so lovely. It feels so it easy. so easy after you've had six. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm in the same boat. It's like, whoa, whoa, this, this is, is nice. <laughs> but but anyway, when they, when I had a lot more of them, if they went in order, that way I could time it so that I could have my younger ones doing something that they could do on their own when I knew that my older ones needed help with something. Like my older ones needed help with math clear through high school. That really never ended. They never got to be super independent on math because they just struggled in that area, my two oldest. And so I would make sure that I had my younger ones doing something they could do on their own, like their handwriting workbook. They could do that without me. And so that was scheduled for the same time as the math with the older ones. See, I did the same thing, except that's why I did it flexibly. That's really interesting to me because what I did, they had all of their individual work in that section of their planner. And it gave me the freedom if they needed me to say, no, I'm helping, you know, somebody else. I'm helping so-and-so. You go and look through your planner and find something you can do on your own. And then they had their list and they could do something on their own. See, that That's a good idea because then they've got choices still. Yeah. One of yeah. the, one of the ways that our mini routines actually worked, I should say, first of all, besides the written work mini routine, we have the morning meeting routine. They know what that involves. And we did a whole podcast on that not not too long ago about what we do for our morning time. And then we have our layers of learning routine. We even have our lunchtime routine. Like my kids know what we do at lunchtime. Right now it involves them fixing their own lunch because they're big enough to do that. I don't make their lunch anymore, but we do all go down at the same time. We pull out leftovers or sandwich stuff and they're responsible for getting their own. When they were little, I made their lunches. I've made cute plates of things and all of that. I don't do that anymore. So I, you're, I never did that. <laughs> I'm lazier than Karen. Your kids are very independent, though. Yeah. <laughs> but, but as many mini routines as you can have throughout the day, it doesn't have to be any big deal. The fact that my kids make their own lunch being a mini routine isn't like, we have to have a checklist and it has to be perfect. Not every routine needs a checklist. You just get used to the things that you do when your kids are accustomed to it and they know what to expect. They live up. 
it's really hard for kids to live up to your expectations if they don't know what you expect. But along with that, whenever you have these little routines in place, you do need to make sure that you're keeping some individual assignments on hand that they can do when you're not available. If you're juggling a whole family, you're not always going to be available for every single kid who needs help at that moment. So are there things that your kids just did on their own, Michelle, that it's they can do that by themselves, they don't need mom's help? Yeah. So, of course, workbooks are usually in that category. And sometimes I would have workbooks that were not necessarily work, but, you know, puzzle books would fit in that category, things like that, or even actual puzzles. I would tell them, okay, go get something out of the geography cupboard and work on that. And it was probably a game or a puzzle, you know. Yeah. I don't think that I would even teach from workbooks except for this concept. I need my kids to be able to have some things that they can do on their own. And even if they learn nothing from the workbook, they're working on handwriting, they're working on... And they're leaving you alone for 20 minutes. Yeah, they're working on being independent people, right? (laughs) It teaches them things beyond what's just on the workbook page. So some kids are going to hate workbooks, but they might love a puzzle. One of the things that my kids do on their own is practice the piano. Now, I do sit down with them. I actually teach them piano you know, around once a week or something. But when they're practicing on their own, they don't have their piano teacher there if they had a different piano teacher other than mom. So I kind of treat it that way. Like that's something that you can do by yourself. You can go down and work on your songs. I need things that they can do on their own without me looking over their shoulder because there's not enough of me to go around when you're teaching a bunch of kids. Is there anything else that your kids do on their own? Well, sometimes I would have them do something more active and physical. So I might send them outside to jump on the trampoline or ride their bike. And often I would set a timer. Okay. I've, you've got 10 minutes. I'm setting a timer. And that 10 minutes is really powerful to work on a child with reading or with um, math or another subject that is, is proving difficult. Okay. I think another one of the things that we use is just to have part of our day be reading time. And that's flexible. We tend to have it happen around the same times, but even my kids who couldn't read yet. Now all of my kids are readers, but when they weren't readers, it was especially challenging. That's like the hardest time as a homeschool mom, isn't it? When you're teaching kids to read. Because I have dyslexic kids, I had four non-readers that were school age at once. It was tough. That's hard. So it's really hard when they're not readers yet. I still have one that is my youngest is still, he's, he's reading, but he still needs help. And I actually sit there with him during reading time, but it's great because I only have two now and one of them is a very proficient reader so I don't have to worry about that it's easy for me now but it used to be really difficult but even for my non-readers I've always had a part of our day where they are supposed to read on their own and that might just be looking at a picture book if you're not a reader yet but they have all always had a time that was just it's book time that's reading time and you need to do it on your own partly because I wanted them to be immersed in reading Partly because I needed them to be entertained while I was helping someone else with something that they needed, like teaching the math lesson. That's a great, it also trains them to sit there with a book Mm -hmm. and and you're not expecting them to do anything they can't do. Anybody can look at pictures. Right. I'm not saying you have to sit down and read this whole book when you're not a reader, but you can, anyone can look at books. Even my little babies had little board book baskets. You know, my tiny toddlers were doing this with us too. And it didn't last a super long time when they were tiny, but... I trained them in this little routine and it grew with them. For my kids, 
timers are so motivational. I don't know if this works for all kids, but it works for mine. If you put in a timer, then they are like, that timer has such great authority. And until it goes off, you will be doing this whatever assignment. You know, you will be reading until the timer goes off. And often the timer, when the timer does go off, it's time for a reward. So usually at, during our homeschool, the reward is something like, okay, now mom's going to read aloud to everybody. Or right. now it's lunchtime. You know, it, it was not that I said, if you read for 20 minutes, then you get. It's just that when the timer went off, then I would have something pl- fun planned. Well, and just the change of gears is fun. You know, just yeah. just for kids to know, okay, we're done with this and we're starting this new thing. Kids like order and structure more than we realize. And when you start to put it in place, people just like to know what to expect. Yeah, and the order and structure doesn't have to be super rigid either. Like Karen has her flexible checklist, but there is a checklist. Right. Like they can do it in any order, but they do know exactly what they're supposed to do. I also like to keep on hand a few things that my kids can just pull out for those moments when I do need to help someone else and they need to not interrupt me. And so we have just little games, little flashcards. In their planners, they have a list of computer games that they're allowed to play. And they tend to be like math facts games, spelling practice games, things like that. They get to go on the National Geographic Kids website and look at the little animal things. So they're still focused on educational type things, but they know, hey, if we finish everything else and mom is busy, we are allowed to go and do these little games. So I don't know. I just like to have those things in place that I know you can do that on your own if I'm busy helping someone else. So that really helps me to juggle all different ages and abilities of kids because the bottom line is one of the awesome things about homeschooling is that you can be one-on-one with your kids. So if you never take any one-on-one time, you're kind of throwing that benefit right out the door. You know, it really helped me when I was a young homeschool mom. I heard a mom speaking about a concept called power of an hour. And she didn't have, I think she only had two kids, two or three. So I had more kids than that. And her solution didn't entirely work for me, but I'm going to tell you about it anyway. She set a timer for one hour. And her child had one hour of homeschool with her completely uninterrupted. So the other child was not allowed to come jump in. She sat down and she did the math. She did the reading. She did the spelling. She spent one-on-one time for one hour with her child. And then she switched. And the other one got the timer for an hour uninterrupted, completely individualized time. So if you have eight kids, this isn't going to work. It's not going to work. But <laughs> it didn't work with me for my four, for kids, four kids, but it did. The concept worked. I took it and I said, okay, today we're going to do the power of 20 minutes or we're going to do the power of 30 minutes, depending on what our time was. But I taught my other kids who weren't getting the attention. No, this is so-and-so's time that, you know, Jason gets me for 20 minutes. You are not allowed to interrupt during this 20 minutes. So you need to go and do what you can on your checklist and at the end of 20 minutes, then it's going to be your turn. And you have, the, you have the all-powerful timer set. Yes. Then when it beeps, then they know. <laughs> and they loved the, the individualized time. But what I loved is it really taught my kids to do what they could because they knew I only have 20 minutes. So they'd start their math. Like, for example, we use Saxon math. And so at the beginning of every Saxon lesson, there's, there's an actual lesson. And then there are letters, not numbered problems, but letters. They'll have to solve A and then B and then C. And it might go all the way through M, or sometimes there are just a handful. 
But those are the new concept in the math lesson. But then after that new concept, they have the numbers, the numbered problems. And those are all review from things they had already learned. So one of the things that my kids learned to do was to, if I don't know how to do a problem, I skip it. And I go on to a problem that I do know how to do. So they didn't come to me when they had their 20 or 30 minute power time with nothing done. They knew I only get 20 minutes with mom and that's not going to be enough time to do the whole assignment. So I better do what I can do so that I can actually have mom's help on the hardest parts. And they learned to work on their own because they knew their time with me was limited, but they got that time. And the nice thing is that's actually a great study skill for later on. You know, you, you work through everything you can do quickly and then you go back and spend time mulling over the tougher bits. Yeah. Problem solving. Problem solving. Yeah. Trying to discover more of what you don't know. But yeah, having that time where my kids knew that they had me, it was also really helpful because they learned to not interrupt the other kids. I found that I got so much done when I was not being constantly interrupted and having to shift gears all the time and help her, help him, help, you know, I had this time, it was dedicated to that kid and the others respected it because they didn't want their time to be interrupted when they were one-on-one with mom. And this is something, again, that you have to train them. You have to go into it knowing that at first it's going to be a little rocky mm-hmm. and then, but over a, the matter of course of a few weeks, it's going to smooth out and they're all going to get the concept. And Yeah. And it really does rely on what we talked about before. They have to have some things they can do on their own set up in their day so that they can keep working even when it's not their power time with mom. They, they have to be able to work independently and they have to have really been taught this does not mean you can run off and play in your bedroom. You need to be accomplishing something. Even if it is putting together that puzzle, you can't just disappear. Because yeah. mom doesn't have the freedom to go and track people down. You you need to have some guidelines established with it. And then it really worked. It worked really well for my kids to have a little bit of that dedicated time. Even if it's a power of 10 minutes, it's amazing how much you can get done when you're not interrupted by other kids. That, that's a little tough when you have a baby. Yeah, the baby is sitting on your lap, but... Yeah, and I do remember, I did have times when I had my older kids, like, instead of you getting your work done, I am going to need you to tend baby while I'm doing this reading lesson because baby's upset, and I need to teach the other little one how to read right now, you know, and so I was able to have kids that were helpful in that sometimes, but it is it is tough when you have toddlers and babies, there's no doubt. Yeah, everything is harder when you have toddlers and babies. Well, they even if you teach them routines, that's not going to be perfect when they're when they're that little. And you need to accept that. You're not going to have every perfect day. The days aren't all just right. So after you get past that hurdle of managing the individual work, the really joyful part, I think, of juggling family school is the family school time. So what's something you do, Michelle, during family school time? So family school is where everyone is learning the same subject at the same time. And we spend most of our day, over time, I have spent more and more and more of my homeschool time this way. We still have individual reading and individual math, but all of our other subjects are together. And and again, I have just two kids that I'm homeschooling right now. But you did it, this I, I did it when, I had when you more. had your six. So, so even when you have more and there's a wider spread in ages, you can still do this. So definitely the layers of learning subjects, history, geography, science, and art. 
everyone can sit there and watch the same video about volcanoes. That is universal. It fits the five-year-old as well as it fits the 16-year-old. The interesting thing is when I watch the Layers of Learning YouTube playlist, for example, I often learn things. And it's funny because I've watched them all. I added them to the playlist personally for the most part. I did. I made most of the playlist and I've seen the movies. But I still go, oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> and it doesn't really matter the age. You will take away from it something on your level. So a five-year-old who watches the movie on volcanoes probably won't notice that interesting fact that I just noticed. And that's okay because they're seeing the really cool volcano explode on the TV, you know, and they're might, learning the word magma. Yeah. We so might not all matter. get the exact same thing out of the video, but that doesn't mean that we can't all enjoy the video together. Another thing we do together is we read together. So if I have a widespread of ages, I'm picking a book that is sort of middle, lower middle end. So for example, we're learning about the medieval time period in Europe at the moment in our homeschool. And we've been reading castle diary. It's a really, really cute book. I love it. There's this little boy in it, and he goes through his daily life in the castle, and you learn about castle life from that time by reading this book. It has enough words that it's interesting for middle grades, even high schoolers, but it's also really illustrated for younger kids. So I pick books that are like that. I also use our encyclopedias. I find that the like the Osborne Encyclopedia of History is really useful for all ages. Like Karen said, it's like the videos. You're going to pick out facts and you're going to make connections when you are a teenager or an adult that you miss when you're younger, but when the kids are younger, they're still learning a lot from it. So beyond just sharing books with the whole family, you're also going to have your older kids read some more advanced books that your little ones aren't ready for, like the chapter books, you know, the, the ones that won't be entertaining to them. But how do you do that with your kids? Do you just assign them? Do you? So my kids, as they've gotten older, by the time they hit high school, they, well, even younger, a lot of them, but they they really enjoy reading. Reading is not something that has been difficult for my kids. So for us, all I did was get a basket full of the subjects that we were learning about at the moment from the library. And I would fill it up and I would tell the boys, okay, pick something out of the basket for reading time. And I let them pick whatever they wanted. And I didn't care if they didn't pick the one book about the medieval time period, the castle book, for example, right? I didn't care if they missed that one. It was okay because they were reading the other book about, you know, earth science, about the, about the volcanoes at that moment. So I didn't worry about specifically which facts they were getting. I just had the higher level stuff that would engage them and interest them. And I still tried really hard to get books that I thought were interesting, not boring. So do you ever assign your kids like you have to read this book? No. You've never done I, that? I don't. And But again, that's a lot of that is because I have such voracious readers. They would read everything in the basket. You don't need to assign. I didn't need to assign it. And so it, it wasn't ever a problem for me. But if you have kids that are more reluctant readers or they're slower readers or you just know this is a really important book and it's important for me to read them this, then you could assign it. Yeah, I I sort of assign my kids. I do the same thing that you do, except we have a shelf instead of a basket. But it's all of the books that we're focused on, you know, a lot from the library mostly. But also I purchase a few at the beginning of the year that I think look really good. And then during that unit, they're all sitting out and I, I just tell them, okay, you get to choose what you're going to do. And so for the most part, I do that. But at the beginning of each year, 
I do find a couple of books for my older kids that I expect them to read that year. And they get them like in a little bag at the beginning of the school year, along with their other new school supplies and things. And I say, okay, during this year, these are the ones that you need to read. And I don't say you have to read this and then this and then this. They read way more than my assigned books. I might assign them, you know, two or three for the year, but they read a lot more than two or three books a year. But I just like maybe one science topic that we're doing and one history topic that we're doing or, you know, something like that. So it's a little bit of an expectation, but not like every day I'm telling you what to read and I'm assigning it. And th- this is how many pages you have to finish. And then there's going to be a quiz on it. Yeah, I've we never, never done that. ever did that. I've never done and that. I think that's part of the reason why my kids actually like reading <laughs> instead of the, it's always been very free and open and you're learning because it's interesting to learn this stuff. So one of the things that I do, I don't test them or quiz them, but I often ask my kids, you know, I've talked a lot about how we present on Fridays, like we present their projects or what they've yeah. done. We do that with reading too. So they all share what they read and they kind of teach the other kids about the book that they chose from the shelf, you know. And so they have a chance to tell about it. And we just talk about a lot of things in our homeschool that aren't necessarily scheduled too. I'm like, hey, what'd you read about today? And we, we talk a lot. We don't quiz a lot. We talk a lot. So besides the sort of absorbing information through videos and books and stuff like that as a group, we also do projects and experiments and crafts and things like that together. I'm, I'm not a very... I'm not a big fan of crafts, but my kids are, so we do them sometimes. I, anyway, when we do stuff together... When we have a craft or a project or an experiment, we do it together because those things appeal across all ages. Everyone can extract DNA from peas and be wowed by it. It doesn't matter if you're 5 or 15, right? So when you do projects, Michelle, do you have them all do one project, like they're actually working together on one project, or do they all do their own? It probably depends on the project. It depends. If, if we're extracting DNA from peas, we're doing it one project altogether. But if we're uh, doing a map, then they're each doing their own. Or if we're making a craft, it's usually each of them doing their own. So do you change the expectations on the map depending on their age? Like I know you're all sitting around making a map and they all have their own. I change... Like my littler ones do less on the map than my older ones. Is that how you do it? So say we've got a region of Africa and we're learning the countries and that's our map. I would have the younger ones just write the names of the countries and then color each country a different color, for example. But the older ones would also have to label the capital cities and maybe the bays and the rivers and mountains. You know, they'd they'd be doing more labeling. That's kind of how I do it. So we're all sitting there at the same time doing the same map. But they don't all have exactly the same expectations. And even with science, for example, we'll have a science write-up and the little ones will draw a picture of their science experiment and maybe do labeling a little bit of what they did. And the older ones will do a full-on science write-up, you know, with a hypothesis and procedure and all that stuff. Yeah, I do that same thing with narrations in our student journals. Like my little ones, if we've done a history lesson, I'll say, okay, draw a picture of what we read about in that book or what we learned about, or maybe they'll draw a picture of the project that we did. And then as they get a little bit bigger, I'll say, draw a picture and label it or make a list. You know, they'll write a few words here and there that go with the picture. And then when they're a little bit bigger, they're expected to draw a picture and write a sentence maybe in their narration. 
And then as they get older, they're progressing into, hey, we're writing a paragraph. Or think of this as like a short answer test question. That's a paragraph, but with a little bit more direction. You know, you might need like a thesis type statement for your paragraph or a topic sentence that's really directed. And then as they get bigger, I might say, you're going to write an essay. It might be one paragraph, three paragraph, five paragraph, but it's all about the same thing. We learned about the same things, but what I expect changes as they grow up. Yeah. And I've never had any trouble combining us for family school for those subjects, for the history, geography, science, and art, because they're such hands-on and they're such, it, it's really flexible. It, like I said before, it doesn't matter exactly which specific facts you learn about. It doesn't matter if you focus on pyramids or mummies when you're learning about ancient Egypt. It makes no difference. What matters is that they're learning and absorbing and getting this kind of view of what the world has been like and what people have been like in the past. It doesn't matter if they know the whole process of mummification. So do your projects change at all, like your expectations for a project? You mean like, like if up? we're doing a craft or what kind yeah, of project? Like, like a craft or any of your hands-on type things, do they all just do exactly the same thing or do you well, it change kinda, that? Well, it kind of depends. I mean, most crafts are pretty cut and dried. You make the craft, right? But older ones will usually step up on their own. They want it to be... They have more skills. They're better at cutting with scissors. They're better at gluing things together. Their imagination has had some more practice, and they can make it more elaborate than maybe the little ones will. And and I'm sitting there working with the little ones. I'm helping them do the cutting. I'm helping them glue on the thing, you know. You know, one of the things that I've done, which doesn't involve helping little ones, but I will sometimes make the project on my own. Like while my kids are working, I'll That's make one. dangerous because they show you up. <laughs> See, I'm the opposite. I make it and my kids are like, mom, you're so good. And they want theirs to be better. Ooh, like, competition. Like when they're little, yeah, like I'm, I create competition for them. And I'm like, you know, if you just added more color, or, hey, you could use a ruler and make a straight line on that. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I kind of motivate them. I don't trash talk or anything. Uh-huh. But, <laughs> sure. <laughs> but I'm like, come on, step it up, guys. Step it up. You can do this. And little by little, like, they they do get a little bit, not exactly competitive, but they go, oh, I could add this or I could do this. And they start to see the possibilities. Yeah. They, they start to get excited about making their projects a little more involved or a little bit better. And I like that. So another subject that we do together as a family is writer's workshop. And I didn't used to do writing together as a family. I felt like it was an individual thing that must be done on skill levels the same way that math is. But Writer's Workshop changed my mind on that. That's not how writing is. Because you can learn the same concept together. And so what we do, we'll come together. We learn a concept about writing. For example, right now, we're working on fanciful stories. And so the other day, we learned about archetypal characters. I had never taught my my two youngest ones, who I'm teaching now, I had never taught them that before. They had never heard the term archetypal characters. So this was a new concept for them. So we sat there and we talked about it together and we went through some stories that we're familiar with, Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and Harry Potter, and we talked about those characters in those stories. And I invited them to think about the stories that they have begun and whether those archetypal characters would fit or not. And I told them, you don't have to use it, but this is a good concept to be aware of because 
people who read them enjoy reading them. It feels good to have these familiar tropes in the stories. And so after we were done talking, then everyone goes to their own area and they do their writing. And if they need my help, I will help them. But usually I'm doing my own writing during that time. This might be different if I had very small children that needed me to physically help them write. Yeah. Then I would be working with them directly. But when since mine are old enough to do most of their writing independently, I just send them to their own areas and they do their own writing. But our pre-writing portion is all done together. Yeah, we do mini lessons together. We do pre-writing together. I think one of the important things in family school is to realize that a lot of the education happens through out loud discussion. And in homeschool, we tend to ignore that sometimes. In school, when you're trained, you know, I was trained to be a teacher. And that's basically what they're teaching you is how to talk to kids. You're teaching by talking to kids. And yeah, books are a part of it and everything, but a teacher who stands up at the front of the room, they're actually teaching, right? I'm not standing up in front of my homeschooled kids. I'm sitting down with them on a couch wrapped up in a blanket, but I'm still teaching them as we read the stories and talk about things. And I think often homeschool moms are looking for a curriculum to do the teaching and actually they get to use curricula and use books to actually teach through talking. So the out loud portion that you're telling your kids is the group work. As long as you're always talking and finding out what their ideas are and sharing your ideas and you're having discussions, that will become a family school. That's where it happens. Yeah. And, and the kids are going out to their own areas and doing their own writing. And the writing that your older children are doing, your teenagers are doing, is on a much higher level than what your little kids are doing. But it doesn't matter because each each child is going to be on their own level. And again, it's not ages, it's levels. And it's really important to realize that each child, whatever subject it is, will be working an, on improving whatever level they're at. And that's what you're looking for is improvement, not are you up to grade. Well, and I also think it's really interesting. People will say, but how do you do that timing wise? Like how do you have a first grader? and a seventh grader both writing a fanciful story, like the first grader doesn't have an attention span for it. So how does that work out timing wise? I think first of all, a first grader probably shouldn't be in school all day long. You know, like it's okay if they do their part and then when they're done with their school day, they get to go off and play. Or we talked about kind of the independent putting together the puzzle, things like that, that they can do. But also you have to recognize how much can a first grader write in 20 minutes versus how much can the seventh or eighth grader or the high schooler write in 20 minutes? You know, my first grader might get a sentence done with a picture and the seventh or eighth grader might write a few paragraphs in that time. So sometimes it, we have to recognize it sort of can even out. It levels out a little bit because we are able to do more as we progress. Karen, are there any other subjects that you do all together, family school style? Others that we haven't talked about yet? Well, we've done our foreign language studies together. So right now we're doing ASL, American Sign Language, and my kids are learning that all together. I think we do a lot of things together a little bit. For example, back to the writer's workshop. If I'm teaching a spelling rule to one kid, all of my kids hear that spelling rule. 
but it might apply to one kid's spelling list. Does that make sense? Like we're very out loud. We do a lot of things out loud. And so they hear little parts and they get lots of little lessons continually, grammar lessons, even math lessons. When I'm reviewing a math concept and we're singing a song to help them remember what circumference means, the whole family joins in. So we have a lot of things that are really collective without being entirely planned just because we're all together and they hear everything that's going on a little bit. It's interesting. I always thought that grammar was another of those leveled things like math is. You know, you have to learn A before you can learn B, before you can learn C, but grammar's not that way. <laughs> and so we actually do grammar together too, which we didn't used to. If you pull out any grammar series like of workbooks, you can open the first grade, the second grade, third grade, fourth grade, you know, all the way up through, and they all go through the same concepts. What changes is the examples that they give. So they get a little bit more complex in their examples, but the concept, the rule that they're teaching or the part of speech that they're teaching or, you know, however the concept is being presented, it will repeat itself every single year in those workbooks. But the examples they give get a little bit more complex. So you teach the concept to everyone and then you give a simple example, a little more complex example and a little bit more complex example and you have family school. You just taught all of them on their level, but it was one grammar concept. We do that with spelling too, although they each have their own spelling list because that is, you know, your first grader is not spelling the same words that your high school is spell high schooler is spelling. But I will sit there and out loud give them each their word and then go through and check their list with them and have them practice. But I'm just, they're all together in the same room. I'm saying, Harrison, your word is... That's what we do too. Yeah. But they all hear the little spelling rule that we're reviewing. Yeah. You know? And one of the ways that I do it in, in writing, it's the same way with the assignments that it is with the mini lessons. Instead of me always giving an example of a concept, like like let's say we're talking about the comma rule that involves lists. Between the items in a list, you include a comma. So I might ask my first grader to write an example of that. And then I ask my fifth grader to write an example of that. And then I ask my eighth grader to write an example. And I ask my high schooler to write an example. They're each going to make their own sentence that involves commas in lists. But the sentences will not be the same. I promise you. They do change as they grow up and they get longer and more involved sentences and more complex examples. So instead of me just providing all the information, I present the lesson and then they get to show off the concept on their level. Does that make sense, Michelle? Like yeah. you, you turn it around and you let them change up to match their level, but you still had family school. You did it all together. So we do Latin together too. I have this Latin book where there's a tiny little lesson each day. You learn one new word and then you practice using that word in sentences. They, they just list a bunch of Latin sentences that you're translating into English. And we do it together up on a chalkboard. I have a chalkboard on my wall, which is lovely. You could also do it on a whiteboard, you know, down at the table or on a piece of paper even. But we do it together on the chalkboard and I have them each giving me parts of the sentences. And as we go through, we're reminding ourselves over and over again, oh, there's an M on the end of that word because it's the direct object in Latin and that's how you know. And this is being conjugated this way because it means we are doing this. You know, we go through all the rules every single time all together. And it's okay that my younger one isn't picking it up quite as fast as my older one. They're getting it on their level and I actually don't expect them to become 
great Latin translators or anything. The point isn't that. The point is for them to just learn the rules of language and to have exposure to a different way of thinking about language and words. That's mm-hmm. my goal. So we do it together. I think it doesn't matter what you decide to teach in your homeschool. Any subject that you decide to teach, you can say, what part of this can we all learn together? And it's going to mean a more out loud approach than just handing somebody a workbook. You know, like we said, we do use workbooks for those times that kids need individual attention and the other kids need to be entertained. But as often as possible, we love to have the out loud family school where we're all talking, we're all reading a book, we're all watching a video, we're all making a project, we're all working on a worksheet. And they produce different levels of work, but we all get to do it together and we all get to cheer each other on and see what the other is learning and presenting. And it's made a really happy homeschool for us. I I think it's happier too. I, I think it's a lot happier. It's made our relationships closer and it's helped us be supportive of each other. It's taught the kids to cheer each other on instead of be like, oh, I'm smarter than you. They don't do that. They're more like, all right, good job. You did it. That's a lot more the attitude we have. And it also actually makes it easier for me. And maybe that's part of why it's happier because because I'm not feeling nearly so stressed because I'm able to teach all of them instead of trying to jump from kid to kid and make sure that they're on task and everything else. One of the other things that I completely love is that when you're all learning about something together, you start to see it in other things. Like the country that you're learning about will all of a sudden be on the news. You know, you start to notice things because you've all been talking about it, you've all been learning about it. It is amazing how often that happens for us. And it just makes learning really joyful when you all have this shared experience to talk about and have be part of your life. Yeah, you have real conversations about things. You have stuff to talk about. I I agree. That's really an unexpected benefit of family school. So I think the takeaway is make sure that you have some sort of a checklist or a planner so that your kids know what's expected of them so that they can move from subject to subject without your help as needed. Make sure that you have adequate individual work that each child can do no matter how old they are. Take time with each one individually on the things that you need to. And then as much as you can, have everybody learning together out loud and joyfully and working on the same projects, reading the same book, watching the same video. Yeah. And it really can become something where you cheer each other on, where you're celebrating learning, where it's a really happy, happy family homeschool. And that's what's happened in our families. We hope that you can experience some of those same joys that we get from family school. Thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating wherever you listen. Ratings and comments help people find happy family style homeschooling. Visit us at layersoflearning.com, at Instagram, and on our Facebook group. And make sure to tune in next month for the next podcast. In the meantime, we wish you happiness in your homeschool. Have fun learning! learning.